Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the NBA Front Office Outsider Podcast. I am your host. My name is Daniel, and with 2020 officially behind us now, the NBA season in full swing, and after taking about a week off due to some unforeseen circumstances, I am back, and what I have planned for us today is a combination trade deadline preview and off-season preview, so like a a pretty far-stretched trade deadline and off-season preview for the Southeast Division. I plan on covering each division over the next six weeks. And generally during a regular off-season, this is something that I will plan on doing every August and September. during the, Throughout the dog days of summer, throughout the days when there's not much news out of the NBA, kind of what I plan on doing here is just giving like a very basic trade deadline preview and off-season preview for each team based off what their expectations are, based off their previous off-season and how they handled some of their main needs, how they handled some of their financial decisions and financial situations, and just based off everything that team did and based off what their expectations are, how their trade deadline might look throughout the following season, which is right now the 2020-21 season, which has actually already begun, and next year's off-season. So with that in mind, I'm going to start with the Atlanta Hawks. So the Atlanta Hawks will actually be one of the most notable teams to watch this season, mainly keeping attention and focus on how well the newly acquired veterans, such as Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Rondo, Chris Dunn, how they mesh with the younger roster and how much improvement some of the key younger players such as Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, and I think most importantly, John Collins make. So, so far throughout the season, guys such as Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, all three of them have been shooting the three-pointer very well. They've been big contributors to a three-on-one start for the Atlanta Hawks. Of course, Trey Young has been playing extremely well on the offensive side of the ball. The Atlanta Hawks actually have the most efficient offense in the league so far in this early season. Now with that in mind, they've also been kind of hit with a decent amount of injuries. Okongwu hasn't played a game yet. Tony Snell hasn't played a game yet. Chris Dunn hasn't played a game yet. Gallinari has been essentially in and out of the lineup early on facing injuries. So we haven't been able to see these young guys mesh with the uh, veterans yet, at least not in full squad mode. So that will be something that still is yet to tell. But so far, this team has looked pretty good. John Collins has performed very solid in limited action. But I think, I mean, they, they, they still have to show a lot of improvements on the defensive side of the ball. And I think John Collins will be the key to that. And for that reason, I think he is the most important player to watch on this team, specifically because of his pending free agent situation with him being a restricted free agent this upcoming offseason and with him expecting a pretty hefty contract and with Atlanta Hawks potentially being limited financially it'll be interesting to see if he if he doesn't perform very well he'll be a player to certainly watch and I'll touch on that in a little second in relation to the trade deadline so the Hawks should be viewed as one of the most likely trade destinations for any superstar that may become available as they will have to look at eventually consolidating some of those aforementioned younger pieces that I just mentioned into a star or a superstar. Although those superstars are much less likely to become available prior to the trade deadline as compared to the 2021 offseason. 
the Hawks will more than likely stay pat at the trade deadline should they struggle from the onset or should they continue, should they struggle at some point throughout the season. However, should they have a relatively big improvement from their previous season's performance, they may be pretty active on the trade market, specifically looking for some defensive help on the wing as that is one of the areas that they improved in the least during this past offseason. I mean, Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo should help, but they're both smaller guards, and Okongwu will likely need time to develop. So far, again, the team has been the team is ranked 27th in defensive efficiency. So they, so far early on, their defensive performance hasn't been hasn't been good. Their offense is what's been really led them to this three and one record, having the most efficient offense in the league. Potential trade targets could include expiring contracts or partial, partially expiring contracts such as Rudy Gay, Trevor Ariza, Thaddeus Young, or players on multi-year deals including guys like Terry Rozier, Kyle Anderson, Gary Harris, and Larry Nance Jr. If the, team, if the team does start performing very well, watch for them to potentially involve themselves in the pursuit of Victor Oladipo should he be made available on the trade market. He's been playing relatively well this season as well so far for the Indiana Pacers. And if they struggle, if they feel that he may leave during this offseason, if they decide to shop him around, they if, if he plays well, I think he may be made available just because of how the, the lack of superstars or the lack of just star players that may be available on the trade market could kind of could kind of increase his trade value there. If John Collins does become the odd man out from this rotation or doesn't improve on the defensive side of the ball as much as the Hawks hope he does, look for them to try to and find a suitable deal for him. If he is made available, any ideal package would likely involve a good young player on a team-friendly contract or a solid veteran that could help out immediately and some sort of draft compensation. Interesting trade partners could include teams like the Grizzlies, Hornets, Cavaliers, and Mavericks. So now on to a couple of trade ideas that we could see at the trade deadline for the Atlanta Hawks. Now, these trade ideas will be pretty general and pretty broad. They're just kind of ideas of what trades for the Atlanta Hawks may look like this offseason. And I'll try to go in different directions for these three trade ideas just because we don't know how the team's going to perform prior to the trade deadline. They're performing relatively well now. They need to make a lot of improvements on the defensive side of the ball. But again, they're off to a 3 and one record, which is a good start. And their offense has been extremely terrorizing and they don't have a full roster yet. But those will just provide kind of general ideas of some trades that the teams may seek to make prior to the trade deadline. The first trade idea is the Hawks receiving Rudy Gay in exchange for Tony Snell and a second round draft pick or two. I mean, here really depending on how the Spurs perform and how Rudy Gay performs, I think if if the team the team's got a lot of impending free agents, a lot of impending unrestricted free agents to the San Antonio Spurs that is and if they if they're somewhere mired in mediocrity somewhere they may ultimately decide to try and trade guys like DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills even though that's not the Spurs way I think if they are wise I think they should kind of move on to the next phase of their of the franchise there and the directions they should take should be should be moving on and kind of handing on the young the younger pieces the ball and really just developing some of the younger pieces at this point which they have been doing this season they haven't given a lot of minutes to a lot of guys like Kelvin Johnson Derek White I'm sorry not Derek White DeJounte Murray Lonnie Walker but and I think they should continue to do that, continue to get some draft compensation as much as they could for these guys, and just really move on to the next phase of the franchise there. So if Rudy Gay should become available, I think a package of Tony Snell and a second-round pick or two will do the job. I think they he won't be too costly just because he's an expiring contract, he's older, and he's more of a bench piece at this point than a starter, which I think he would provide the Hawks with a lot of good minutes off the bench and specifically defensive toughness there too. The second trade idea I have is the Hawks acquisition here of Victor Oladipo in exchange for DeAndre Hunter, Chris Dunn, Tony Snell, and a first round pick. 
potentially second round picks as well. I'm not going to dive too deep into the draft compensation for any of these, but Victor Oladipo, I think, would be an ideal fit alongside Trey Young there. He could play off the ball. He could kind of he could he could play make as well when Trey Young goes on the bench. But I think specifically, you're looking to add him for his defensive prowess and see what he could do on the wing as a defender to kind of help complement Trey Young there and his lack of defense. And the package the Pacers would be receiving in return, specifically if DeAndre Hunter continues performing well, I think they'd be very happy to have him. He's still only on the second year of a rookie-scale contract, so he's going to be pretty cheap over the next few years. And you get a first-round pick, you get a couple of either expiring pieces or Chris Dunn, who's on a multi-year deal, but he's not costly. He's somebody that you could use as well in Indiana. So I think this would be a solid trade for both sides depending on how things continue growing there. The final trade idea I have is the Hawks receiving Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, and a first-round pick in exchange for John Collins and Chris Dunn. So here in this deal, Memphis is receiving John Collins, who I think would be a great fit. Actually, they're playing alongside John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. I think both he and Jaron Jackson Jr. Both of them got both of those guys could stretch the floor. Both guys are kind of combo four or five players. Jaron Jackson's focus should be much more on the defensive side of the ball, while John Collins' focus should be much more on the offensive side of the ball. He could post up, which would allow Jaron Jackson just to kind of roam around the perimeter there, shoot some three pointers, which he really enjoys doing, and then focus more on the defensive side of the ball, kind of allowing allowing John Collins to not necessarily take time off, but kind of allowing John Collins to not have to focus as much on defense and not have to stress so much about playing extremely well on the defensive side of the ball because they do have a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. there to kind of help alleviate any mistakes John Collins makes. Now, in return, the Hawks would be receiving, of course, draft compensation here. I had them at receiving a first-round pick, which then they could either use to consolidate into a bigger deal during the offseason, or they could figure out how to use that first-round draft pick in another way. But they'd be receiving a guy in Brandon Clark, who had a very good season last year after being a late first-round pick. He's on a cheap contract over the next three seasons. And for a guy who could perform very well, still relatively young, and for a guy who could just be a very good complementary piece, I think this is exactly what the Hawks would be re- Looking in return in a brand in a John Collins trade, just because of the fact that he's on a such a cheap contract and on an extended contract on that rookie scale deal, and because of the fact that he was a late first round pick, well, he's on a cheap contract. So, I think that that would be an ideal ideal move for the Hawks to make, an ideal player for them to add, as well as Kyle Anderson, who's a very good defender, specifically on the wing, and a very solid playmaker as well. He's he plays a very in a very slow motion tempo, which I don't know how well that would fit with the Hawks, with the Hawks players there, with the rest of their remaining players. However, I mean, just on the defensive side of the ball, he'd be able to help them out a lot, and potentially just coming off the bench as a as a backup playmaker and just somebody who could provide them with some defensive stops. I think the Hawks would walk would be able to welcome him with open arms there. Right, so now moving on to the 2021 offseason for the Atlanta Hawks. With the majority of this year's roster under contract for the 2021-2022 season, Tony Snell will be an unrestricted free agent, John Collins and Brandon Goodwin restricted, and Chris Dunn does have a player option, so there are some notable kind of potential free agents there. However, most of the roster is locked up throughout the 2021-2022 season. You know, Barring any major trades, the team should consist of largely the same roster throughout the 2021-22 season as it does this season. So depending on when, where their first-round pick lands, if they let Collins walk and if Dunn doesn't exercise his player option, the team could have a bit more than $12 million in cap space. However, with that in mind, they are much more likely to remain as an over-the-cap team and use their mid-level exception. I, I highly doubt they want to let John Collins walk for nothing. So even if they do hold on to him and you know figure out a sign and trade for him, even if he potentially accepts his qualifying offer to become an unrestricted free agent during the 2022 offseason, if the teams can't come to an agreement on a deal or whatever happens in that situation, I don't. I highly doubt that they'll 
want to let everyone walk that I just mentioned in Collins and Snell and Chris Dunn just so they could have $12 million in cap space, which is a very which is very close to the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which they could have available should they decide to remain an over a cap team. Should they manage to hold on to Collins on a contract worth somewhere near the maximum salary? They will be near luxury tax territory, depending on Dunn's decision and where their first-round pick lands. So I think the most likely scenario here is that Dunn exercises his player option they reach an agreement with Collins on a deal worth anywhere between $25 to $30 million a year. And then they have about 5 to $6 million available from their mid-level exception to spend on a rotational piece. I think ultimately that's how it will end up for them. And they'll be able to pursue some help on the wings there, specifically some defensive help either on the wings or in the front court with that 5 to $6 million. Again, I think that's the most likely scenario is where they figure out a way to keep Chris Collins, sorry, John Collins, and Chris Dunn does exercise that player option. Specifically, if injuries continue to derail his season, then he won't be worth more than that player option right now, and I think he'll want to make that money with Atlanta and then potentially move on in 2022 if things, of course, don't work out between him and the Hawks. Now, moving on to the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets have a lot of questions to answer throughout the season. Throughout the season, can a guy like Gordon Hayward stay healthy and be the superstar they paid him to be? Could Devontae Graham repeat his prolific performance from last season or improve on it? So far, he's been struggling a little bit, specifically with the shot. How will Omelo Ball look and develop throughout his rookie season? There's been a lot of ups and downs so far with him this off se- with with him so far in the early part of this season. How much growth will younger players such as Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and to a lesser extent Malik Monk show? Uh, so, so far, Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington both have similarly had a lot of ups and downs, but so far have looked more, I think have had more positives to show than negatives. Malik Monk, unfortunately, he's been kind of, he's been branched pretty deep on, on that roster. They have a decent amount of backcourt players, the the Charlotte Hornets do and he hasn't really been able to showcase his talent so far his coach has had him pretty deep in the rotation and pretty far down in the rotation and hasn't been able to find minutes for him yet I think he's a very likely trade candidate if this trend continues but the answers to these questions will determine which direction the team heads in during this year's trade deadline if they perform well and are sniffing an opportunity to make the playoffs they could potentially pursue an upgrade or two most likely in the up front court when they are pretty thin on depth and that talent like I just mentioned they have a pretty deep backcourt and they are not so deep in the front court I think that's where they would pursue some options should they should they decide to make some moves at the deadline some likely trade chips could include a guy like Terry Rozier who more dependent on how the remainder of the backcourt performs and if Rozier's minutes drop through the surrounding positive developments but so far, he's been the biggest development, the biggest positive development so far. I mean, he's been averaging over 20 points a game while shooting still very well, specifically from through the three-point line. He's making over three three-pointers a game on good efficiency, over 40%. So, so far, he's been the most positive development. You know, guys such as Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington, all of them could be added in it as young trade sweeteners in a bigger deal. Cody Zeller is another one of another likely trade candidate for salary matcher purposes. And depending on how he continues to perform and how comfortable the Hornets are with paying his next contract, I think Devontae Graham could be made available, specifically if Terry Rozier keeps outperforming him as he has so far in this early season. I think he's a guy who could be on the trading block in his kind of his trade. The potential for the Hornets to trade him could continue to rise should Terry Rozier continue playing the way he is, and should Devontae, Gra- De- should Devontae Graham continue to struggle a little bit? Potential trade targets include guys like John Collins, like the aforementioned John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks. Zach Collins, who's been kind of struggling with injuries so far this season, similar with Kevin Love. Andre Drummond is another potential trade target, although the way he's been playing with Guys like Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, they're younger players. I think the Cavaliers may ultimately decide to actually keep them beyond this season if they continue to perform. If those three continue to perform as well together as they have been, 
Julius Randle is another trade target. He's been performing very well. And a little bit more on the veteran front, LaMarcus Aldridge. Some less likely trade targets, should they become available, are guys like Nikola Vucevic, Blake Griffin, and Jared Allen. Those guys, I think Nikola Vucevic would require likely a first-round pick, which I don't think the Hornets will be willing to part with. Similar to Blake Griffin, if he does perform well, and I think if he comes, if if he continues, and he's been playing pretty decent so far, and if he really starts improving throughout the season and kind of returns back to his all-star form or near all-star form, I think he may require a little too much draft compensation as well. And there may be other teams who are willing to offer a little more than the Hornets are. But Jared Allen is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. He's somebody that I think would fit in very well with the Charlotte Hornets roster. And with the Brooklyn Nets kind of being stuck in a tough financial position beyond this season, I think he's somebody they may make available and they could find a good trade partner in the Charlotte Hornets if they decide to wheel and deal here. Even And he's somebody that I also think may be available even if they do struggle throughout the season, even if they don't really play well. He's somebody that fits in with this roster long-term as compared to just simply short-term like some of these other names that I mentioned. Now, if the playoffs don't look likely, count on them largely staying pat, even though, like I just mentioned, Jared Allen may be somebody they could pursue even if they struggle. I don't know how much draft compensation they'd be willing to part with to get him. You know, and similar to a majority of their younger assets. So if if there is some struggle, potentially they may just wait until the off season for the next big splash. And at that point, they could try to bring in a guy like Jared Allen or a few other guys in restricted free agency, which I'll touch on in a second. First, though, I'd like to go over three trade ideas I have for the Hornets, three, poten- three potential trades they can make at the trade deadline. One could be the Hornets receiving Kevin Love in exchange for Terry Rozier, who at that point would potentially be rerouted to another team in a three-team deal, as they already have a couple of very good backcourt pieces in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, at least potential piece, potential good pieces. Malik Monk would also be in on this deal. An- another salary filler, possibly Cody Zeller, or somebody a little making a little less money at that point since Terry Rozier is pretty expensive and a heavily protected first-round pick. I think that's what the Cavaliers could expect in return for a Kevin Love is a heavily protected first-round pick that converts to a couple of seconds should it not convey. A second trade idea I have is the Hornets receiving Nikola Vucevic in exchange for Cody Zeller, Malik Monk, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. Then I really didn't really want to go too deep into deciding what the what the protections there would be specifically because a lot of things will change and depending on how these players perform things could change but in this deal here the Hornets are receiving Vucevic who's still he's in his early 30s I want to say he's young but he's definitely not old either he still has a few good years left he's somebody that I think would help their roster over the next few seasons he's on a declining contract and he won't be too expensive so I think he's somebody that would fit in very well with this Hornets roster should they really decide to make an all-in push for the playoffs. The Magic would be receiving some draft compensation. Malik Monk, who is a scoring guard, which is something that they pretty, not desperately need, but some something that they definitely need, somebody who could create their own shot and really try to try to play make a little bit and handle the ball while being able to drive to the hoop and create their own shot. And, of course, the draft compensation would be a welcome there in Orlando, depending on how they perform this season. The third trade idea I have has the Hornets receiving Julius Randle, Kevin Knox, and draft compensation in return for Devontae Graham, Cody Zeller, and salary filler. Essentially, the Knicks would begin Devontae Graham here, who I think they would be pretty happy to have. I don't think they would mind paying his next contract either. Will he have to perform a little better than he has been so far? Yes. So specifically with how with how solid Julius Randle has been playing as a playmaker, as a rebounder, as a scorer. Obviously, his defense still is very, very poor to say the least. You know, Kevin Knox is still Kevin Knox. Who knows what's going to happen with him? With the way Randle's been playing so far, I don't know if there would be any draft compensation involved in this type of deal. If there would be, it'd probably likely be more second round picks than first round picks, but. 
who knows beyond the fact I think Julius Randle is a guy who would at least fit in relatively well on the Hornets as compared to other teams he may fit in. They could take a chance on Kevin Knox while while depleting uh, while depleting their backcourt a little bit here, which is I think is something that's necessary necessary considering how many backcourt players they have there and how thin they are in the front court. Now looking ahead to the 2021 offseason for the Charlotte Hornets. Should they stay largely pat at the trade deadline, they will have relatively easy decisions to make, barring any major regression in terms of holding on to Graham's relatively low cap hold and eventually resigning him, as well as guaranteeing the contracts of guys like Jalen McDaniels and the Martin Twins and Cody and Caleb Martin. The two most challenging decisions will be whether to put a will put forth a qualifying offer to Malik Monk, which if they continue not to play him, then I highly doubt they would be willing to do that. As well as whether to retain Cody Zeller, who will be an unrestricted free agent. Their salary cap space could be in the mid-20 if they decide to let both of those players walk. Obviously, depending on where their first-round pick lands. And then, but resigning both players would likely provide them with about 10 to $15 million in cap space, while holding on to just one of them would give them about $15, $20 million in cap space. So those are just rough estimates. Obviously, there's a lot that's pretty fluid here depending on how these players perform, depending on what they want to do next offseason. Both players' performance will decide which route the Hornets take next offseason, as well as grand performance on the price he is worth keeping at. But offer sheets for one of either like John Collins, Zach Collins, Jared Allen, or Laurie Markinen will be a serious possibility should the Hornets open up enough cap space to make a serious bid for one of them. And a couple of guys to look forth to the Hornets pursuing an unrestricted free agency may be a couple of those trade candidates that I mentioned in Andre, Rob- uh, Andre Drummond and LaMarcus Aldridge. Those are guys I think they would pursue to try to improve their roster in the front court. Andre Drummond may be more on a long-term deal, while LaMarcus Aldridge would likely be more on a short-term deal, similar to something that Gallo received this year, where there would be a three-year deal with a third-year non-guarantee or a largely non-guarantee since Aldridge is a little older. But they may be big players in unrestricted free agency for some of the these Funko players that I mentioned. I think there'll be a lot of teams with cap space this offseason, and Look for a lot of those teams to pursue some of these restricted free agents that will be available. Of course, everything depending on how these players perform. The Miami Heat are next. Their 2021 trade deadline. The Heat prioritized preservation of their 2021 cap space this offseason, which has seemingly backfired on them now that Antetokounmpo and a handful of other superstars have signed extensions. It's not hard to envision this team with some combination of Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, and Jay Crowder on the roster had they not limited their options the way they did. However, I'll have to digress from that as that is all moot point at this at this stage. Looking forward to the upcoming trade deadline, the Heat should be more flexible with the types of contracts they're willing to take back in trades, specific, more specifically long-term deals. Therefore, opportunities for improvement should and will be available. Their ultimate goal may be to still land a guy like Bradley Beal should he become available on the trade market. And with the Wizards being at 0-5 at this point, that's actually a possibility at the trade deadline. However, I don't really believe for one second that they have taken themselves out of that James Harden sweepstakes as well. I think that could become another possibility at any point. I think that is something that they could still open up trade discussions at any point and try to bring him into Miami. He, I mean... Again, with his personality and with the way the Heat culture is, there would be definitely some clashing of personalities. However, I think with how much of a superstar he is, I think the Heat would be one to make that work. You know, they do have guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and a couple of future first-rounders available in their cupboard. You know, those future first-rounders are in 2025 and 2027 with, you know, some stipulations there. But regardless here... Their offer to the Rockets should be, at the very least, a very competitive one. There are other former All-Stars that the team is likely to, at the very least, inquire about, including guys like Victor Oladipo, who they have been linked to. I think a guy like Kyle Lowry would be fantastic on this team should the Miami, I'm sorry, should Toronto decide to 
move on from him depending on how they look throughout the season. If they struggle, he is a little older, may not fit in with the roster. He is an impending free agent. They may want to move on from him and get something in return. A couple other guys include Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. Those are at least two more players that they could at the very least inquire about and try to get, see what it would take to get them onto this Miami Heat team now that a lot of the free agents, a lot of the guys who are expected to be free agents in 2021 will not be free agents anymore. I'm not sure how how seriously the Heat would consider pursuing guys such as DeRozan or Lowry. But the first two are definite possibilities in Oladipo and Lowry. I think those guys are guys that they will strongly pursue prior to the trade deadline. And even if they don't pull off a big trade throughout the trade deadline, look for the team to at least seriously dangle Kendrick Nunn in trade talks, even if it would be in a smaller deal. As his next contract is likely not one that they're, sincere, they're sincerely looking forward to paying. Him being the scorer that he is, but being limited defensively, I don't think he fits in very well on this Miami Heat roster. He will likely cost them around ten to twelve million to keep around, and I think that would be. I think the Heat would prefer another team for another team to pay that as compared to them doing it. So look for them to, at the very least, dangle him, Kendrick Nunn, in trade talks, even if things don't work out in a superstar trade or in a star trade. Trade ideas for the Miami Heat. The first one's going to be the Heat receiving James Harden, the Rockets receiving Tyler Hero, John Collins, Kevin Herter, Andre Iguodala, Kelly Olenek, both of those guys as as salary fillers, and then Heat's 2025 first-round pick and Heat's 2027 first-round pick. They'd have to kind of get the Thunder involved here to allow them to remove their protections on the 2020. Three first round pick they owe to the Thunder, but that wouldn't take a lot. It usually takes probably about a second round at the ring of protections. And in this deal, the Hawks would be receiving Duncan Robinson, PG Tucker, Mo Harkless, and a couple of second round picks, a second round pick or two, depending on what it takes. So essentially, here the Heat are again the guy that they, the superstar that they desire in James Harden. The Rockets are receiving a couple of very good young players in Tyler Hero and John Collins. Another solid young player, Kevin Herter. A couple of expiring contracts, which is something they always seek with Fertitta there being as cheap as he is. And future first-round picks, which is something that they want in return for a James Harden trade. While the Hawks would be would be taking themselves out of the John Collins, having to pay John Collins a pretty hefty contract. They'd be receiving a very good three-point shooter in Duncan Robinson and a couple of defensive rotational pieces in Mo Harkless and P.G. Tucker, which is something that they need very much. The next deal I have in mind for the Miami Heat as a trade idea could be the Heat receiving Kyle Lowry in exchange for Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic, and Kelly Olenek. Here's a deal that I think the Toronto Raptors would be very excited to make as they could acquire another guy in Duncan Robinson who's still relatively young I just I believe he's about 26 maybe 27 years old he'd fit very well alongside Siakam OG Ananobi and Fred Van Fleet there he'd be another starter that they could add and then it would be a front court piece away from an extremely dangerous starting lineup and you know receiving Dragic there he'd be a good replacement for Kyle Lowry as well as Kelly Olenek who could stretch the floor he's on an expiring contract so I don't think there'd be any issues there. This would be a very solid trade for both teams. The Heat could get a guy on Kyle Lowry who could make them very, very legitimate championship contenders if they aren't already. He's somebody that I think would add a piece that is with, for A, he's got a lot of championship experience and somebody who's been very dangerous in the playoffs over the last few years. I think he'd be a piece that Miami would love there alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo as well as the remaining of players there. The third trade I have here as an idea is a smaller one involving the Celtics receiving Kendrick Nunn and the Heat receiving Grant Williams and some draft compensation. Kendrick Nunn is a bench score which is something that I think the Celtics need specifically with the uncertainty of Kemba Walker there and his injury in his injury-riddled season, potentially injury-riddled season, I think Kendrick Nunn is somebody that the Celtics could afford to take on and potentially pay that next contract. While the Heat would be receiving Grant Williams, who's 
on his rookie scale deal. He's only on the second year of that four-year deal, so he's somebody that will be cheap for the Heat should they receive him over the next few seasons. And he's somebody who could do a little bit of everything for them and just kind of give them a solid 15 to 20 minutes off the bench every game. As well as the Heat would be receiving some draft compensation here, maybe a second-round pick or two. No big deal. Maybe even no draft compensation would be involved. Now looking ahead to the Miami Heat's 2021 offseason, taking a good account the five players they have on guaranteed contracts for the 2021-22 season, and Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Precious Achua, and Kaziak Pala, as well as the relatively low cap holds for Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, should they not hold on to Kendrick Nunn? So I'm sorry, should they actually hold on to Kendrick Nunn? The Heat projected to have around $25 million in cap space next summer. Now, the team, now the Heat have team options on five players worth a total of over $50 million that could put them very near the luxury tax territory. That includes guys such as Goran Dragic, Mayers Leonard. However, be, because a majority of those team options are overpriced, with Chris Silva being the potential exception with the team option value that's slightly over $1.8 million. I will guess that the Heat will decline each of those team options. And that's not to say that those that those players, and you know, again, I mentioned Gordon Dragic, Mayers Leonard, Andre Goodall, and Avery Bradley, not to mention that they won't be back with the team as they can simply just come to terms on a new contract that may be worth less on an annual basis but on a longer-term deal. However, I would count on those players becoming free agents next season, even if just for a little bit, even if it's just for them to go through the formality of restructuring their contract. With all that in mind, barring any trades, the Heat will likely have either approximately $25 million to spend on free agents next offseason, should they decide to let all those guys walk, plus their room exception, or simply they'll have their mid-level exception should they hold on to a combination of those players either on new contracts or on those team options, which is unlikely. Bigger names that I would look for the team to target, should they have enough cap, enough cap space to do so, would include guys such as I mentioned in Kyle Lowry and Victor Oladipo, who are also trade targets. Other guys that they could pursue are Mike Conley, depending on how he recovers from his injury, Spencer Dinwiddie, LaMarcus Aldridge, and DeMar DeRozan from the Spurs could be other options as well. Some names that they may target either with their cap space or their mid-level exception could include guys like Lou Williams, P.J. Tucker would, I think would be a great fit there, potentially Norman Powell, a reunion with Josh, Josh Richardson is a possibility, Danny Green is a possibility, and Rudy Gay as well. So those are some smaller names that they could pursue with their mid-level exception or at the price of the mid-level exception, depending on how much cap space they have. Moving on to the Orlando Magic, their performance throughout the first few months of the season will likely dictate how their trade deadline goes for the Orlando Magic. So far, they've been performing pretty well. Their record is at, they stand at 4-1. at one. And if they continue to perform well and remain in the playoff hunt, I could see them largely staying pat beyond potentially pursuing smaller moves such as a Mo Bamba trade or pursuing a bench scorer such as Ben McLemore should the Rockets make him available or J.J. Redick, I mean, Terrence Ross has been playing very well off the bench. He's been averaging over 20 points a game in their first five games, shooting very well from the three-point line, but they'll still need either another bench score or somebody to either fill into their, kind of to toss into their starting lineup there. However, if the team struggles from the jump and fails to find a rhythm throughout these next couple of months, they may make players such as Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier available, even Terrence Ross. I think he would be able, if he continues to play the way he is, he'll be able to net them something pretty solid in return. Al Farouk Aminu might become available, and perhaps even Nikola Vucevic. That doesn't obviously mean they'll find a trade partner for each one of these players, or that they'll try to trade away each one of these players. However, if they do make them available, they'll likely be looking for some type of younger talent or draft compensation as well as expiring contracts in return for each. You know, with with John Collin, with John I sorry, with Jonathan Isaac's injury this season and him being out potentially, I mean more most likely throughout the whole year, the Magic should have treated this season as a gap season. 
and they still very well may find a way to do so should they struggle. However, as of right now, they're playing relatively well. I don't know if they'll necessarily fold themselves into thinking they're a true Eastern Conference contender should they continue to play well, but we'll see how they handle it. I still think their best option would be to try to get draft compensation or younger talent in return for some of these players alongside expiring contracts, but that'll be up to them to see, to really make that decision, and we'll see what they do. In terms of trade ideas, the first one I have is a smaller one. I have the Magic receiving Ben McLemore, who's on a minimum salary contract, in exchange for a couple of second-round picks. Again, this is depending on how McLemore performs, how, what the Magic feel that they need prior to a trade deadline, but that's just an option that they'll have available. The next option here, I have the Magic receiving Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, Bismack Biombo, and a couple of second-round picks from the Hornets. The Pacers receiving Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross, and the Hornets receiving Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb. So I think this is a three-team deal that each team would benefit from. Each team is trading away some solid players, but again, better positional fits here. The Magic are again Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges. A couple of wing players that they may benefit from receiving. Miles Bridges could play a little bit of defense. So can Terry Rozier. He's been playing very well with being able to shoot the ball this season so far. Kind of piggybacking off his season last year. The Pacers here are trading away Miles Turner. But again, a guy in Aaron Gordon as well as Terrence Ross, who's been lights out with T.J. Warren out there. I think he'd be somebody that they could really use off the bench or potentially even filling into the starting rotation there. I think this would be a very good trade for the Pacers here. And the Hornets would be receiving Miles Turner, who is a, a very nice front court piece. He's been very solid on the defensive side of the ball so far this season. Hasn't been shooting the three-point shot as well, but it's still very early if he, I think if at some point he plays very well and kind of develops, you know, improves on his three-point shot, improves on his out offensive output, I think the Hornets may pursue a trade for him. Now, kind of with the way the early season has been going, the Magic, I'm sorry, the Hornets would be giving up a decent amount to get Miles Turner. I don't know if they'd be willing to part with Rozier and Miles Bridges to get Turner. However, if those two digress a little bit, I think that's when it would be a more likely option. Looking ahead to the 2021 offs, oh, I'm sorry, I got I have one more trade here. I have the Magic, uh, one more potential trade, I should say, or one more trade idea. I have the Magic receiving Norman Powell, Aaron Baines, Patrick McCaw, and a first-round pick, and the Raptors receiving Nikola Vucevic. I think this would be a deal where the Magic would be selling high on him. Norman Powell is a very solid player there for the for the Toronto Raptors. He's signed to I believe I believe he's got two more years left on his contract. Well, he's on a player option for next offseason, but I think he's somebody that I think would be very a very good fit in Orlando and he's a little younger than Vucevic. And the fact that they'd begin a first round pick here would be something that I think they would appreciate. Even though Vucevic has been a great player for them, I think it may be time, depending again, depending on their performance, it may be time for them to move on from him and kind of try to go into a little bit, not necessarily of a rebuild more, but retool their roster around their younger players and try to provide better fits in terms of long-term needs along around their around Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac there, who they did just bring back on a couple of rookie extensions and kind of solidifying their commitment to those two players. Moving on to the Magic offseason. <clears throat> like I just mentioned, after signing both Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz to extensions, the Magic severely limited their flexibility for next summer. Now, that's not me saying that the extensions were necessarily the wrong move, although an argument could be made that Fultz was overpaid. You know, I highly doubt that the Magic were going to be a very desirable destination next summer for free agents. However, if they stay pat throughout this season and Alpha Rukaminu exercises his player option, which is highly likely regardless of how healthy he is throughout the remainder of this season, and they decide to retain Evan Fournier next summer as well, alongside the salary of their first round draft pick, there will be they will be very near 
luxury tax territory without accounting for their mid-level exception. And they decide that next summer that they want to improve their roster around the margins via their mid-level exception. They will either have to count on Aminu declining his player option, letting Fournier walk a free agency, or finding a trade partner for Aaron Gordon, Ross, or Vucevic during this season or next offseason that provides them with some additional flexibility. If they do gain some flexibility, look for them to seek some help on the offensive side of the ball in free agents, such as Lou Williams, J.J. Redick, Kendrick Nunn would be a bad option, as well as players such as DeMar DeRozan, Will Barton, Kelly Oubre, and Tim Hardaway Jr. via the sign-and-trade routes, as those last four aforementioned players made the man money above the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. I mean, specifically DeMar DeRozan, he's been a guy that's been linked to them for a while, and I don't know how likely they are to trade for him at this year's deadline, simply because he is an expiring contract, and I don't think they'd want to risk losing that asset for nothing, especially if they part ways with a guy like Aaron Gordon for him. I think they'd be losing a pretty valuable asset there and risking DeMar DeRozan to walk into another team in free agency for nothing in return. But look for them to potentially pursue a sign and trade route where they could get them on a longer term deal throughout during next year's offseason. Finally, I have the Washington Wizards. You know, with a trio of Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, and Davis Bertans, barring any injuries, it's, you know, it's. I thought it was safe to assume that the Wizards would be contending for a playoff spot throughout this season, but so far they're off to a Pretty bad start at 0-5, and nothing's been really working out well for them. So, who knows how things are going to look. Uh, you know, without how adamant their front office ownership has been about building a playoff contender around Beal, I would not be surprised at all to see the team pursue a talent upgrade, specifically in the front court. I mean, due to his relative age and presum- presumably his relatively low trade value, Andre Robinson, uh, sorry, Andre Drummond would be an ideal target for them. You know, even guys like Kevin Love and Blake Griffin would make some sense. However, unfortunately for the Wizards, all three of those contracts are too expensive and they likely won't have the matching salaries to acquire one of them unless they're willing to part with Davis Bertans. As they are not too far away from their luxury tax threshold at all right now and acquiring one of those guys for a combination of some tradable contracts and Thomas Bryant, Robin Lopez, and Ish Smith would put them likely over the luxury tax threshold, and I don't think they want to be anywhere near that, especially with how poor of a start they've gone off to. The two more reasonable trade targets, sorry, the three more reasonable trade targets for them may be LaMarcus Aldridge, P.J. Tucker, and Jonas Valanciunas from whom they may have the matching series and may not have to part with first-round draft picks to acquire. If they are willing to part with some future first-round picks, guys such as Nikola Vucevic, Miles Turner, or one of either Jared Allen and Wendell Carter may make a lot of sense. I mean, heck, they may even make a pursuit at John Collins, depending on his availability and his cost. Some lower-profile trade targets could include guys such as Larry Nance Jr., Kyle Anderson, Rashawn Holmes, Chetty Osman. I think they will have options at the trade deadline. It, it would just all depend on how they continue to perform throughout the season. If they continue to perform as poorly as they have been, I don't see them trying to pursue any upgrades. In fact, then I could see them trying to potentially sell on some of the assets that they have. I don't know if it would go as far as selling on guys such as Russell Westbrook or Bradley Beal, but potentially Davis Bertans may be made available Guys like Robin Lopez, Thomas Bryant, some of their more veteran pieces that don't necessarily fit in to their long-term plans. I mean, Thomas Bryant is still young. He's somebody that may fit in, but I think he'll be their top trade chip prior to this trade deadline. So he may be somebody that may be on the move simply for that reason. I don't think they'll be looking to part ways with Rui Hachimura or Danny Avdia. Potentially Troy Brown Jr. I do think they still like him and want to keep him around. They do have a guy like Jerome Robinson as well, who I think would be a more much more of a salary filler. Although he's only making, I believe, just under four million dollars, so he's not too huge of a salary filler. But trying to just look at some trade ideas for the Washington Wizards. The first one I have involves the Wizards receiving Lamarcus Aldridge in exchange for Thomas Bryant, Robin Lopez, Ish Smith. And a second round pick or two. 
I think just because of his age and the fact that he's on an expiring contract, Aldridge won't be worth more than some salary fillers, a young piece such as Thomas Bryant with some potential, and a couple of second-round picks, which I think the Wizards here could benefit from this type of move and could really could really take advantage of a situation there and acquire a veteran piece some, such as, a, I should say, a veteran defensive piece such as LaMarcus Aldridge, Aldridge to help shore up their front court. The second trade idea I have has the Wizards receiving Jared Allen and Torian Prince in exchange for Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown Jr., Is Smith, and some draft compensation. As I mentioned already, Jared Allen will be pretty have will be paid this upcoming offseason, and I don't know if the Nets will be able to simply afford being the team that pays him. Therefore, I think they'll either try to move him this uh, this prior to this year's trade deadline or next offseason in the potential sign-and-trade. I think the Wizards could really benefit from a guy from receiving a guy such as Jared Allen. Kareem Prince here, they'd have to take on more as a salary filler, but also more as a salary dump on the part of the Nets. The Nets would be receiving a center here in Thomas Bryant who could stretch the floor, which would be a better of a compliment to DeAndre Jordan there. I think those two guys, you could kind of balance their minutes in the front court. One could be more of a stretch five and then less of a defensive presence, while DeAndre Jordan could be more of a lot finisher and a defensive presence there. Troy Brown Jr. still has some potential. He's been playing relatively well for the Wizards ever since the um, since the bubble last season. So he's somebody that I think would fit in well on the Nets there. You still have him for a couple of years on his rookie scale deal, so you could really see what he does for you. And of course, draft compensation. It probably wouldn't be hefty draft compensation, but perhaps a protected first-round pick. The third deal I have here has the Wizards receiving Larry Nance Jr., in exchange for Is Smith, Troy Brown Jr., Jerome Robinson as a salary filler, and a second-round pick or two. I mean, I think the main parts moving in this deal would be uh, Larry Nance Jr. going to the Wizards, somebody who could provide them, again, with a little bit of a do-it-all type of frontcourt player in Larry Nance Jr. In exchange for a younger piece in Troy Brown Jr. on a rookie-scale contract, I think the Wizards would benefit from getting a guy like him who could play a little bit of defense, who could do a little bit of scoring in a variety of ways, a little bit of playmaking, just another guy who could do a little bit of everything. Probably, definitely not as good as Larry Nance Jr., but young, younger and fits the timeline of this team better, and cheaper, of course, as well. Now, looking ahead to the 2021 offseason for the Wizards, the Wizards really do have the potential to be the most polarizing team next offseason, as, of course, depending on how this season goes, they face the prospect of having to decide on how to build their roster more efficiently around Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal with the limited resources they have or embarking on a complete rebuild should they really struggle to make any noise this season. I won't touch on too much on how a rebuild would look, but if they do make Bradley Beal available in trade discussion, they'll be able to receive a really nice haul in return for him, specifically now with how the free agent market for next offseason has digressed pretty pretty steadily. I think they'll be able to get a huge package in return for him. Uh, there's so many different options and potential trade packages that they build that I'm not going to jump into that quite yet. That's something that if it does happen, if, he, if there are a lot of rumors of him becoming available, I'll... I'll Touch on that as as soon as it happens, but not as of right now. But if they do embark on a rebuild, they may also get some assets back for Russell Westbrook and Davis Bertans, depending, of course, on how they continue to perform throughout the season. If they perform well and decide to keep trucking forward with their current core this season, though, they should have the non-taxpayer mid-level exception available, as well as the biannual exception. Some guys that they could target include Rudy Gay, Thaddeus Young, Ronnie Hood, Derek Jones Jr., Nerlens Noel, Danny Green, Rashawn Holmes. Just a decent amount of names I'm throwing out here on guys that would be potential targets. Some of them may or may not be available depending on some non-guarantees, some player options here. But some team options as well. But those are guys that I think would fit in pretty well with this roster should they become available. Another guy... That could be available, although he's been playing very well so far this season for the Chicago Bulls. It's Otto Porter Jr. There's some potential for a reunion there. We also saw a few players take below market deals this 
offseason, this past offseason, specifically centers. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that players like LaMarcus Aldridge or, Don, or Andre Drummond may consider making the same decision next offseason if the right fit presents itself. Now, whether that right fit is the Washington Wizards, you know, that's up. That's a decision for those players to make. However, those are just some possibilities that could occur next offseason for the Washington Wizards. Okay, so moving on to my NBA trade letter that I try to update every week or if I take a break every other week. With the season underway, there's going to be definitely some changes here. Some players are struggling. Some players are performing a little better than expected. So uh, without further ado, moving on to my honorable mentions. I still got the trio of Zach Levine, Laurie Markin, and Wendell Carter in my honorable mentions. I think... Just the way they continue to progress is going to determine where they end up during this trade deadline and what the Bulls plan on doing with them and kind of the directions the Bulls plan on going in in general. I got Andre Drummond here, Miles Turner, Derek Rose, Blake, Blake Griffin, CJ McCollum, Marcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, Mo Bamba, Zach Collins, Jared Allen, Kyle Lowry, JJ Redick, Eric Bledsoe. A, a five-some really of Warriors kind of here who have been struggling a little bit. Don't look as good as a lot of people had hoped they would look. So they may be looking to shed a lot of salary here. So Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Kevin Looney, Jordan Poole, Marquis Chris. And then dropping out of the rankings are Victor Olodipo and Terry Rozier. Both have been performing really well so far this season. With T.J. Warren being injured and out indefinitely, Victor Oladipo may be counted on even more by the Indiana Pacers to really lead the way there in Indiana and really guide them through their playoff run. And I think for that reason, they may just simply decide to hold on to him. And Terry Rozier, with the way he's been performing as well, I think that they they may also kind of choose end up choosing him over Devontae Graham. I know there's a roster crunch there specifically in the, I shouldn't say a roster crunch, but a a guard crunch in Charlotte. So I think somebody will be dealt. But I think with the way Terry Rozier has been performing and Devontae Graham so far kind of struggling early on, he's actually going to jump into my rankings and Terry Rozier drops out of my rankings, which I will touch on in a second. But of course, with Lamar Ball there as well, they're not going to be getting rid of him anytime soon he they are counting on him kind of to be the cornerstone of the franchise so I think he will remain there of course I think one of Graham and Rozier will have to go at the deadline more specifically to improve their front court and I think at this point it may even I think Devontae Graham is a little bit more likely than Terry Rozier just because Terry Rozier looks like a much better complimentary player alongside Gordon Hayward and and LaMelo Ball as compared to what Devontae Graham is. He is more of a ball-dominant guard and somebody who I think needs the ball a little ball a little bit more in their hand to thrive. And I think he may be better off doing that somewhere else. So without further ado, at number 10 is Devontae Graham. He jumps into the rankings, like I just mentioned. He's somebody who needs the ball in their hands a little more. He may have that opportunity somewhere else, such as New York. I don't really know. Maybe Chicago potentially makes a move for him. I don't necessarily see many good fits for him, but I think ultimately somebody will take interest and take the lead in terms of acquiring him. At number really nine through seven here, I have each one of them moving, dropping down one spot. Buddy Heald, Aaron Gordon, and Kevin Love all have either struggled relative to their performances from last season or Kevin Love has still been dealing with some injuries. But I think ultimately they will figure out a way to regress towards their means and kind of retain the trade value that they have and be pretty interesting trade pieces prior to the trade deadline. And I think they will be some desired commodities. Jumping into the rankings at number six are Spencer Dinwiddie and Toreen Prince and the reason why I have both of them here is not because of their performance. Well, I should maybe say because of their performance, but because of the fact that they've either been struggling in, in Tareem Prince's case or Spencer Dinwiddie, not, him being suffering that knee injury and now being kind of uh, declared out for the season. Well, I think the Brooklyn Nets will be shedding some salary, and I think these two pieces are the shellers that they will shed 
that I'm most likely to shed. I think there's a move between them and the and the sorry the OKC Thunder with some of the guys that I mentioned for them in a in a little bit. Who actually these guys will be remaining number one. So a little bit of a a little bit of a I can't think of the word right now, but uh, they, those guys do remain number one. I think there's a deal to be made between these two teams, which I will touch on in one second. But yeah, I think these guys, the, the Nets will be trying to, anything to shed their salaries. With Dinwiddie being out for the year, I think they, if they want to bring it back, they could bring him back at some point next season. But I think for right now, I think they'll be trying to do anything to cut some luxury tax, to cut down their luxury tax bill. And number five, drop. Uh, sorry, remaining at number five is DeMar DeRozan, who's actually been performing very well for the Spurs so far this season. He's been able to score the ball, play make a little bit. What is exactly what is expected of him? And with his relatively young age, if the Spurs struggle at any point, if they look like they're out of any point, out of playoff contention, I think he'll be one of the top trade targets around the league, and I think he'll be pursued pretty heavily. And I think ultimately the Spurs will have to kind of swallow their pride i know they generally don't like to conduct trades especially in season they like to keep their guys around but this is somebody that if they if they're out of the playoff picture prior to the trade deadline i think he's somebody that they'll have to just accumulate assets with and kind of move on from to make more room for the younger pieces and to gain get something in return for demar Derozan before he leaves in free agency the number three and four spots I actually rotated, so dropping down one spot is Karis Levert at number four. He's been putting up decent numbers, but his efficiency has been very, very poor. He may, depending on how he continues to perform, he may drop down his trade value just a little bit. I think ultimately the Nets will still be looking to deal with deal him in a bigger package for another superstar. I think that'll be likely the most active team in that aspect where they'll be trying to acquire that superstar prior to the break so he's somebody that's still high on the list in spite of the inefficiency but moving up one spot to number three is Julius Randle who has I mean he's been putting up some real good numbers in terms of offensive numbers with seven assists I believe he's up to about at least 11 boards and at least 20 points a game I mean small sample size but he's been shooting the three-point shot very well Still turning the ball over a lot, still a real bad defender. But, I mean, I think he'll be in demand, and the Knicks will be happy to get rid of him for some assets prior to the trade deadline. So he remains up very high on my list at number three. Remaining at number two is James Harden, although I think there is potential for him to drop down a little bit. Should Christian Wood continue to perform very well? Should John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, Aaron Gordon sorry, Eric Gordon, should those three guys really step up over the next couple of weeks? I think James Harden may loosen his draft demands just a little bit. And even if he doesn't, I think the Rockets will still give it one more shot with him this season. And ultimately, if things don't work out in the playoffs, again, trade him in the offseason. But if they if they perform well and they continue to kind of mesh well together I shouldn't say continue they've only had one game together so far but if they prove to really play very well together I think James Harden might just remain put in Houston now if they struggle yeah I think he's he's as good as gone both on the part of the Rockets and on his part he will be even his attitude will get worse and the Rockets will just ultimately have to give in and find the best package available for him and part ways with James Harden as tough as that may be and finally, at number one, George Hill and Trevor Ariza remain here at number one, but also I'm adding in Mike Muscala to this trio of essential, not necessarily salary dumps, but of these three players on the Thunder who, these three ve- Thunder veterans who who will net them some type of draft compensation in return, ideally. These three guys, I you know, as George Hill has been playing while Muscala has been shooting the three-point shot very well, which is what he's really his job in the NBA will he gain will he garner a lot a, a big return for the OKC Thunder no but he should get them at least one second round pick and it could be a high level second round pick so or he might just be like an addition in another trade but ultimately I think these three players will be gone off the Thunder prior to the end of this year I think they're the most likely ones to be gone from the Thunder than any other players from their team and for that reason they remain at number one on my list so that's what I have for you guys this week. 
Next week, I'll be previewing a different division. I haven't quite made up my mind on which division I'll be previewing next week in terms of the trade deadline and next year's offseason. But please come back next week, listen to my new episode next week, and I definitely look forward to hearing any feedback from you guys, any reviews, and please give me guys five star on whatever platform you listen to. And I hope everyone has a great new year. I hope everyone has enjoyed their holidays, and I hope everyone is just enjoy the rest of the weekend before kind of most of us return back to the hectic work lifestyle that I'm sure a lot of us are living. Thank you, guys. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.